time enough at last. Submitted for your consideration to sci-fi fans, Sean Majors and Keith Conrad. Rewatch The Twilight Zone from beginning to end. It's like something out of that Twilighty show about that zone. This object, should any of you have lived underground for the better parts of your lives and never had occasion to look toward the sky, is an airplane. Its official designation, a DC-3. We offer this rather obvious comment because this particular airplane, the one you're looking at, is a freak. Now, most airplanes take off and land as per schedule. On rare occasions, they crash. But all airplanes can be counted on doing one or the other. Now, yesterday morning, this particular airplane ceased to be just a commercial carrier. As of its arrival, it became an enigma. A seven-ton puzzle made out of aluminum, steel, wire, and a few thousand other component parts, none of which add up to the right thing. In just a moment, we're going to show you the tail end of its history. We're going to give you 90% of the jigsaw pieces, and you and Mr. Sheckley here of the Federal Aviation Agency will assume the problem of putting them together, along with finding the missing pieces. This we offer as an evening's hobby, a little extracurricular diversion, which is really the national pastime in the Twilight Zone. Episode number 67 of the Twilight Zone was the rival, not to be confused with the Charlie Sheen movie from the 90s uh, of the same name, although I actually thought that one was pretty good. I enjoyed that as well. I, that is really funny you mentioned that because that's exactly what I thought when I when I heard the episode title too. But most people probably think of Arrival, the Amy Adams movie about aliens, but this was The Arrival, and uh, it was uh, uh, aliens are trying to colonize Earth by causing global warming. Which basically, it's kind of an interesting idea, and the only person who can stop it is Charlie Sheen. I so, um. In fact, I think I remembered the Charlie Sheen movie when the Amy Adams uh, movie came out as well. <laughs> I thought it was yeah, a remake I, or something I, like that. Yeah, I, I probably had the same thought. I was like, you know, wait a minute. You're allowed to have two movies with the same name? But, uh, <laughs> uh, one was The Rival and the other was just Arrival. And um, this, um, th- this episode is actually, it, it was one of those, and we, we've had a few of these where, I don't think that I had seen it when I, you know, when I was younger. I think it was only until, you know, the the Sci-Fi Channel marathons that I saw this one, and I actually really like it. I, I think it's a it's a cool little, completely self-contained story, and um, yeah, you know, it it's it's just interesting to me. It's I I don't remember this episode at all. I don't remember forgetting it and then remembering it when it comes on. Uh, uh, like a marathon, but um, yeah, I don't remember it at all. And um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it too. There's a, I don't know, the, there's a lot of good acting in it. It's a, it's a unique story. And uh, um, for some reason, it even though it's a completely different story, it just involves a plane. It reminded me of, do you remember when for some reason they made a mini series out of the Langoliers by Stephen King? Yes, I do. Yes. That, that was, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that, that was With, like, so, so there was a stretch like in the early to mid nineties where still weird one of the networks, probably CBS was that, you know, it's, I think it started with it and then just yeah. periodically they were releasing, you know, a mini series based on King stories. And-, and I think, Langoliers, yeah, Langoliers was like the last one. It was, it was when, okay, we've clearly run out of steam with this. 
It, it just doesn't make any sense. For Legolier's, it's like a short story on like 12 past midnight or the skeleton crew or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And the uh, only recognizable star is Balky Bartokamos from a, yes. uh, from perfect strangers. <laughs> Which, by the anyway. way, just, just to take us on a completely, um, you know, completely, you know, a total side jag here. Uh, I, I was downtown in downtown Chicago for the first time in a year and a half on uh, yeah. on Wednesday. And every time I go downtown, I always end up with the theme to Perfect Strangers stuck in my head. <laughs> when I worked at when I worked at WGN and WLS. The um, like like that area, like right at uh, you know Michigan Avenue and the Chicago River, yeah, it, is right where Balky and cousin Larry like come out of the, uh, you know, come, come out of the L, and so just especially <laughs> yes. when I was working at WLS and I would get off the L at like four in the morning. Oh my gosh! I would always have that stuck in my head, and and, and it happened again when I went to the Lyric Opera this week. That was. I- uh, I do miss your uh, your Instagram series of uh, um, people on the L. I forgot yeah. what it was called. But. Uh, Tales from the Red Line. That was uh, that's what it was. <laughs> that was a real crowd pleaser. Um, but but uh, at at any rate, um, the arrival, which is what we're actually talking about. <laughs> um, speaking speaking of crowd pleasing and this episode, so on the Wikipedia page, there they are. There are two critical responses. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, they basically show both sides, but um, <clears throat> one is relatively new because it's from a thing called Addicted to Horror Movies. Um, but you should track down the episode. It's not the strongest you'll see of season three, let alone any other, but it has a kick-ass moment of extreme tension that stands as quite memorable. At least to this particular viewer, Rod Serling delivers another sl- slice of quality entertainment and the double twist earns major points. But a variety review... Um, which I don't know when it was. I mean, apparently Variety's been around since 1905, so it may have been a contemporary review. But mm-hmm. they they say the show now seems to be feeding off of itself. Last Friday's episode, well, yeah, so I guess it was contemporary. Unless it proves to be an exception in the new scheme, doesn't a u g u r? How do you pronounce that, Keith? <laughs> Auger. I think so. Yeah, auger. It, do, it doesn't auger well with the future for the future of the series. Twilight Zone seems to be running dry of inspiration, which is an insanely uh, did not did not age well considering the like heavy hitting episodes we have in front of us. Yeah, pretty pretty much. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to think of how I would have interpreted this. You know. Um, you know, like like you know, people watching Loki right now. You know, they're and they're they're really looking <laughs> forward to the to the next episode. Yeah, like if you were if you were someone watching uh, TV in the nineteen sixties, and you um, you know you were looking, you were a fan, so you were looking forward to uh, the Twilight Zone every week. Yeah, um, like how would this episode hit you? Because I, I bet it would be completely different than somebody who's watching. It oh now. yeah. And I mean, I, I definitely know the uh, the despair of a show that you've been waiting all week for. Like, <clears throat> with uh, the X-Files for me, um, I love the Monster of the Week episode so much more than, like, the overarching narrative of, like, uh, Mulder's sister and something and stuff like that. So when there would be just one that was just, like, only tackled the, that, uh, the lore, the overarching narrative, I was like, oh, man... Give me like a werewolf or, uh, you know, 
Peter Boyle. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, Jose Chunks from Outer Space. Yes, such a good episode. Anyway, sorry, I keep pulling this off. <laughs> so this episode uh, focuses on uh, Flight 107 from Buffalo. Um, it it arrives, and I don't think they ever give a, uh, a an airline, but that's not important right now. <laughs> um, the... Uh, the, the airplane arrives, and uh, for one thing, it's a DC three, which uh, is a very historical aircraft. I don't know uh, how many how many of our listeners are aware of it, but it was it was huge. First, it was like the first, um, you know, really successful passenger uh, airplane, mm-hmm. and uh, also e- extremely uh, uh, helpful in World War Two because it was it was used as a transport plane, and I think there was like. A couple thousand of them built. I mean, it was a really successful thing. Yeah. Now I've taken us on a on an airplane side jet. <laughs> um, it arrives with absolutely no passengers, no crew, no nothing. So it pulls up to the tarmac. The engine shut off, and nobody's in it, which is unusual. That, that <laughs> seems weird. almost impossible. And apparently, even back in the 1960s, the FAA had a, a you know a a team they would send out immediately if there was a crash. And apparently in the sixties, the uh, budget wasn't so great because they only sent one person. <clears throat> and uh, it's, it's, it's Grant Sheckley. Uh, not, not the best Rod Serling Twilight Zone name, but, but they really yeah. gave a very serious man an unserious name. Like, I mean, it, it conjures up like a, like the fourth stooge to me. Oh, I just, yeah. Yeah, Sheckley the Stooge. I I could definitely see that. Yeah, Larry Moe, Curly, and Sheckley. <laughs> and uh, and he's uh, he's got twenty two years of experience. Which okay, yeah, they were, they were flying airplanes in in nineteen forty. That I guess that adds up. But yeah, uh, the, the FAA didn't exist in in nineteen no. forty. It was uh, we we learned in uh, on the Twilight Zone in the episode of Flight thirty three that the FAA was was something else. Um, in the yeah. days. So he probably predates the FAA, but uh, he says he has a 22 year record of uh, solving cases. And, and, you know, so they sent him and, um, and, and eventually he, you know, starts meeting with people around the airport. And um, I think the first indication that something is wrong is that uh, nobody has showed up caring that this airplane arrived with nobody on it. <laughs> Pretty, pretty unaffected by this uh, miracle, whether good or bad. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure actually which which town is landing, and we know the flight is from Buffalo, but I don't think they actually say what town they are in. I think the I think the plane lands in um, Apathy Junction. That sounds right. That, that's <laughs> as a matter of fact, you know, I, I think uh, I, I really like Apathy Junction. I think that's going to be the name of uh, the house my wife and I build one day. <laughs> It sounds like a, you know, fine place to live. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. It's okay. <laughs> um, so, so nobody has, has, has come to claim uh, any passengers, no baggage, no nothing. Nobody, nobody seems to care that this flight came in, which, again, is unusual. That, that you would not expect that to happen. A little wacky. Uh, the investigation basically goes nowhere until they start... Like at some point, somebody describes the airplane and says, you know, like it had I, I just keep seeing these empty red seats. And then they realize, oh, wait, I see blue seats. And I saw brown seats and I saw brown seats, which, again, 
is unusual. <laughs> in, a, in an airplane. Usually if we're looking at the same airplane, we can figure out uh, what the color of the seats are. So that's, that's I, I would assume that in 22 years of flawless FAA investigations, Grant Sheckley has never run into that before. Some of the some of the best storytelling <clears throat> that the Twilight Zone does are in episodes like this, where I mean, it's particularly at the point where they're like uh, mentioning different color seats, it's like mm-hmm. you don't know what the heck is going on, and how are they going to untangle you know this 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 knot you know in less than twenty five minutes. <laughs> Yeah, and especially again, putting yourself in the in the shoes of a um, a person in this in the early '60s who hadn't seen this before. Yeah, you know, this even though I hadn't uh, hadn't seen it until a few years ago. You know, I, I've probably seen it two or three times since then, so I knew how it was going to end. Um, but, but even then, you know, if you haven't seen it and the promo from the week before didn't give away what it was going to be, I'm not sure when you would have realized what was going. Yeah. Um, the, uh, again, kind of derailing, but it's related to this episode. Also, what makes, I think this episode so strong is it's such a good example of how poetic Serling can be in an opening narration. Um, you know, he, he calls, he calls the plane like, like a, like a six ton puzzle. Um, uh, and just the way he speaks, it, it's it's quintessential, you know, Serling. It's it, it's it's the opening narration that that the show is so famous for uh, at its at its best, really. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at it right here, and he says we're going to give you ninety percent of the jigsaw pieces. <laughs> you and Mister Sheckley here of the Federal Aviation Administration Agency, sorry, will assume the problem of putting them together along with finding the missing pieces. This we offer as an evening's hobby. A little extracurricular diversion, so good. which is really the national pastime in the Twilight Zone. I don't mean to make things weird, but I was getting chills. I think it's, <laughs> I, I think it's awesome. I so well written, <laughs> so well done. Uh, no, I, I was about to say the the ending is just good, but I was actually thinking about the flight, the Odyssey of Flight Thirty Three, because he says, yeah. you know, if you ever hear an airplane. You know, above the overcast, shoot up a flare or do something. I, I, yeah. I, but but that's the Odyssey of Flight Thirty Three, which um, also a great episode, also about airplanes. Hmm. Uh, also, we're not sure uh, they, they take things a, a little generic because, uh, as I as I pointed out uh, when we talked about that episode, uh, the airplane just had the Boeing livery on it. It didn't yes. actually have, uh, have an airplane. And again, this kind of goes back to, you know, we've talked about this, you know, basically where the world was, <clears throat> you know, in 59 and 60, 61. Um, you know, so obviously you're going to get a lot of stuff about, you know, nuclear war. We're going to see that next week. Um, and But it's just like the show's fascinations with planes and how it kind of directly cor- correlates, which uh, you obviously correct me if I'm wrong, but just the the advent of um, popularization of air travel. Um, yeah. And, and also, I, I think um, probably had something to do with the fact that uh, uh, Rod Serling was a paratrooper in World War II. Oh, I didn't. I actually didn't know that. I, actually, so cool. ironically enough, since he was a paratrooper, he would have jumped out of a DC three. <laughs> exactly, something he knows uh, very well. So, so even though it's you know 1960, I, I think uh, you know plenty of airlines are still using this, but may, maybe he said. 
Yeah, can we make it a DC three? That'd be cool. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> uh, so, in addition to seeing different colored seats, everybody also sees a different tail number, which is uh, which is interesting. Um, and you know, after uh, kicking it around for a while, uh, Sheckley thinks that he's got it all figured out. And he has probably the the single weirdest um, idea for how to uh, how to figure everything out, because he decides that <laughs> it's some sort of you know mass delusion. Uh-huh. And his solution to how he's going to stop this mass delusion is he's going to have somebody climb into the airplane that apparently is not there. Mm-hmm. Turn up the engines, and then he's going to stick his hand in the uh, in the propeller. I feel like there are a couple things to try before that. Yeah, yeah. Not not only is that his explanation, but but that's the first thing he goes to. Like, and, is there? We can blame that on the fact that, uh, as we've pointed out many many times uh, already in this podcast, they had twenty two minutes. So you know, he, he kind of had to jump to some conclusions. Of course. Get a roll out to jump to conclusions. Matt. I just, you don't know, think maybe. <laughs> I just think maybe you know. Is there a yardstick lying around that you can like stick in the propeller? Something that's not your hand. Right, right. Anything. Yeah. <laughs> yardstick piece of uh, equipment from the hangar. Any, any old thing. Uh, but, but yeah, he he decides he's going to put his uh, his life on the line. Well, maybe not his life. I mean, it could chop off his arm, and he'd be. Uh, be able to i mean it would wreak havoc on his knuckleball but um you know he, he could survive that no more cy young awards for the for sheckley after this grant sheckley yeah his, his career's <laughs> over uh, so so anyway he uh you know they 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 do it they they all agree huh? you know what that sounds like a good idea let's do it and so they uh they rev up the engine it's not their arms <laughs> yeah it's not, not our arm who cares uh, they rev up the engine, uh, and uh, he sticks it in, sticks his uh, sticks his uh, his hand in, and uh, everybody disappears, including the airplane. Um, again, it's one of those like you know this this episode is is halfway over at this point, and how are they going to explain this? You know, yeah, they still don't really really explain anything about it. I mean, I I guess we're at that point, sort of left to assume that he was correct, that the whole thing was, uh, was a, a, an illusion. I also love his, <laughs> again, back to the jump to conclusion, Matt, just that like, well, you know, we see different numbers, so none of this exists. <laughs> none of us are right. Yeah. But, uh, again, not, not the conclusion that I would jump to if no. I was going to jump to any, any conclusion. I, I would probably first go to, this has got to be a prank. Yeah. Um, yeah. maybe some of us are colorblind. Uh, uh, maybe some of us can't read. Maybe don't know how to read. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and then maybe after that, there would probably be two or three more conclusions I would jump to. And then once all those had been, uh, disproven, then I would jump to, okay, maybe I'll stick my, uh, my hand. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. We'll give it a shot. Yeah. We'll, we'll give it a shot and see what happens. So, uh, so nobody's in the hangar with him anymore. And so he starts yelling around looking for everybody. And suddenly he goes back into the office where, um, you know, he had met everybody at the beginning and nobody knows, 
well, I, I shouldn't say nobody knows who he is, but nobody knows what he's what he's doing there. He just it's it's just literally he's a rando who showed up <laughs> and started yelling, "Hey, where's flight uh, 107 from Buffalo?" And they and they claim it landed, and with evidence, they have a newspaper article. <laughs> like how? What a slow news day. To like for the newspaper for the newspaper to decide like well you know flight one hundred seven uh, safely landed airplane lands <laughs> here's Jim with sports yes hey hey Buffalo's kind of a kind of a small town I mean right now it has a major league baseball team but it, it won't for very much longer um, yeah I mean maybe Buffalo's just not that exciting and you know hey listen WLS Radio sent a reporter halfway across the country to record uh, audio of the Hindenburg landing. Really? And that ended up being very good, very good move on their part because, sure. you know, we ended up with, uh, Oh, the humanity, but uh, this was, I know that was WLS. They sent a, yeah. Like you would have thought it was a, it was a local guy from, yeah. uh, from New Jersey where, uh, where it happened. No, That's it was so actually cool. WLS in Chicago. It was uh, um, it, was a, it was a guy from uh, Chicago named Herb Morrison. So, I also did not know that it crashed in New Jersey. Uh, yes, it did. I mean, it, it's hmm. not the worst thing that's happened in New Jersey. But. <laughs> this guy was born there, so you are <laughs> correct. <laughs> um, he, uh, uh, yeah, so I mean, you know, they, slow news days happen, I, I, I that, but I, I don't think a... Uh, you know, maybe maybe it's like a NASCAR crash where you do send the reporter to the airport just for the day thinking, hey, maybe something will go horribly wrong. There will be a crash and hey, we'll be there to cover it. Um, but I don't think the headline you walk away from that coverage is airplane landed. When you said airplane lands as the headline a couple minutes ago, it, remind, it reminded me of <clears throat> when I stepped on your Charles Bronson finale uh, from last week or two weeks ago. But uh, it reminded me of, I mean, of course, we're going to get off topic and talk about The Simpsons. Uh, but the, um, what is the uh, the Pog episode? And uh, he get, Bart goes to Milhouse's house that's being fumigated. And he's like, did you see a piece of paper that said Bart's soul on it? And then the guy, the bug guy is like, oh, yeah, you never forget a thing like that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the, uh, Bar- the Bart's soul episode with... Uh- Pogs, uh, Alf is back in Pog form. He's back in Pog form. Um, Sorry. So, uh, so as we were saying, nobody know has any idea who he was because um, because uh, the airplane landed without incident, and then they they sort of start piecing together that that yeah, they all kind of know each other because uh, eighteen years ago, which by the way would mean that this uh, this particular airplane. Would have been 1961 minus uh, 18. Uh, obviously, I'm no good at math, uh, so that would be 51 minus eight. So that would be 43. 43. That that's when this happened. 1943. So uh, in the middle of World War II, apparently, this is when uh, that's supposed to have happened. Mm. I feel like Sheckley's uh, powers of deduction could be better used somewhere else, but. That's just me. Could be, yeah. It, it would uh, it would make a lot of sense. Um, 
Okay, so if you were Sheckley, um, obviously your first choice would not be to stick your hand in the airplane's uh, propeller. Uh, how would you prove that, uh, that this was all a delusion? Um, I think I'd probably go the route of like uh, maybe all three of us uh, maybe looking at the, the tail again or looking at the, the, the seats again or something like that to see if it's a fourth color or a, a fourth number. Um, maybe throw a couple marbles into the, uh, you know, oh, how, yeah. how hangers have marbles just laying around. Um, There's been a couple stories about, uh, about uh, apparently in China, like it, it's, uh, it's good luck to apparently throw coins into things. And there's been uh, there's been a couple of stories lately, actually like like three or four of them in the past year about yeah. people deciding to throw coins into jet engines as they're getting onto airplanes because that's supposed to be good luck. Seems uh, like uh, bad luck to me. <laughs> it, it does. Yeah, it, it's bad luck for them getting on the airplane because they've been stopped <laughs> for doing it. Oh my god. Uh, um, yeah, I just um, anything, anything except for my arm. That that's a good. Uh, that's actually the uh, the motto uh, on the Conrad family uh, coat of arms. <laughs> Just not. My arm. How are you going to give people double high fives? You can't. It's impossible. You can't. You're only one, and I mean, <laughs> I think he even sticks his right hand in there, which odds are he was right-handed. <laughs> He may have been a southpaw. I mean, Jim yeah, Abbott had made a made a go of it for for what about five six years. Very true. Picture of a man with an Achilles heel, a mystery that landed in his life and then turned into a heavy weight, dragged across the years to ultimately take the form of an illusion. Now that's the clinical answer that they put on the tag as they take him away. But if you choose to think that the explanation has to do with an airborne flying Dutchman, a ghost ship in a fog enshrouded night, and a flight that never ends and you're doing your business in an old stand in the Twilight Zone. Cabotron?